0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, November 22nd, 2010. Thanksgiving this week. Yeah, I I should let y'all know it's official. I've joined the Farmville Cult on Facebook. That's right. I have a farm on Farmville on Facebook. And oddly enough, I find it rather relaxing. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Okay, this is going <laughs> to... I can't believe I'm talking about this on the air. Yes, it's true. I've joined the Farmville cult. And you're thinking, oh, no, we, no, no, it's not a religious thing. At least I don't think so. I kept getting, like, messages from people saying, you have received a mystery gift from your friend in, on Facebook for Farmville and Farmville this. And I tried it out, and there was, you know, I killed, like, several groups of crops, and... um I have gotten used to it. I figured it out. I have a farm on Farmville now and I'm not sure what to make of this. And here's the funny thing. Some of the neighbors I have um they're like <laughs> There's some pretty f- famous LCMs pastors who my who who are now my neighbors on Farmville. <laughs> I've lost it. It's official. I I've decked out my farm for fun. I've put snow on the ground and I have horses and piggies and little goats and sheep and yes, it's official. I've lost my mind. I, it's you know, I, and I know some of you are going. Oh no! Oh no! We've got to send him to therapy. They they probably have like celebrate recovery repro- recovery programs for people who are addicted to Farmville. But uh, one of the things I found rather obnoxious is that uh, I because I just like decided to try it out. I had like a backlog of people who had sent me gifts. It it took me I, I what I did yesterday. This is going to sound like a complete sacrilege. But uh I I purposely took the day off mentally and uh yesterday was uh, watching the Indianapolis Colts play the uh New England Patriots. Oh, boy, was that frustrating. And I, ha- I had no hope going into that, uh, that football game that Indianapolis was going to beat the New England Patriots. Well, be- and why? Because uh, all of our major players uh, that are the first stringers, they're uh, injured. So I didn't know if we were going to be able to really do well. I thought we did better than we expected. But anyway, so I had one eye on the football game. And uh, the other eye on Facebook while I was trying to, you know, take care of the backlog of the gifts that people had sent me on Facebook for Farmville. And uh, as a result of it, uh, you know, my wife is all, are you watching the game? Because, by the way, my wife, (laughs) she's a fanatic. Okay, (laughs) If you were to come to the Roseboro house on a Sunday afternoon when the Indianapolis Colts are playing, my wife you just let me just tell you you have to be careful if you're sitting next to her because uh you know she might jump up and like hit you in the head or something and and it's really funny i make fun of her because uh uh whenever uh, the other team is on offense and uh, they're running the ball or they're throwing the ball or whatever yeah you know, she <laughs> she sounds like a disney villainous. you're going chris what well, yeah no no she does she uh, she yells out get him Get him! What are you doing? Get him! Get him! You know, it's like somebody... Anyway, so, you know, I always make fun of my wife on on football day. And So yesterday, I, I've got one eye on Farmville, and I got the other eye on the game. And, you know, I, I'm not standing up and cheering, and, and, like, you know, she's, like, totally nuts. And uh, she's looking at me and going, are you even watching the game? Do you even care? You've got to do something about this, Chris. We're losing. And I looked at her and I said, honey, if there was anything I could do to help the Indianapolis Colts right now, believe me, I would do it. I just, I want to assure you that I I would do anything within my power to help them. That being the case, I'm trying to catch up on my Farmville backlog here because... <sighs> I could, I, I know this is... <laughs> Therapy, I, <laughs> yeah, it, and see the thing is is that uh, when it comes to to you know, to solving this particular Farmville problem, I you know the the only thing that makes any sense is that that somebody forces me into a purpose driven celebrate recovery twelve uh, step program for uh, Farmville uh, 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 Farmville holics. You know, although I'm thinking that you know, at some point this is just going to kind of be silly because I'm not going to have room for things. I've looked at some of the folks who've been playing Farmville for a while, and they're like at level 100 and stuff. They don't have room for all of their stuff. (laughs) It's 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 Clumpville anyway. So I just thought I'd share that just to start off the day, start off the week. It's Thanksgiving week here at. uh, pirate christian radio and fighting for the faith and I do plan on spending the holiday with my family that being the case I want to let you know the normal program today normal program tomorrow uh friday light on wednesday and best of programs on thursday friday so that that you know that's the uh, the plan for the uh the week and uh, and then we have a full pro uh pro- program cadre coming up Next week it'll be a normal week here at Fighting for the Faith. So there you have it. I've given in. All of the pressure. All of, see that. What do they say? Bad company corrupts good character. You know, that's uh, that's the same. That's one of the sayings. And so I've um, my character has been corrupted by all of you Farmvilleites out there at uh, that are my friends on Facebook. So, but uh, <clears throat> I I do find it to be a rather fun diversion. It, you know, it reminds me of like model railroading. you know the, the the, which by the way, don't even get me started. I there that if I had time and money, model railroading seems like a it would be a fun distraction. <clears throat> so that's for a different program. So anyway, on today's program and today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. What are we going to talk about? Well, I want to talk a little bit uh about uh, Kimblegate. <clears throat> that's what I that's uh the, somebody on Facebook, one of my friends on Facebook has lovingly referred to the controversy surrounding Dan Kimball as Kimblegate. And uh I wanted to uh you know to read uh a couple of messages that I've received from fa- uh, folks on Facebook regarding Kimblegate and I, but I don't really want to spend a lot of time on it. And then what I want to do is is that um, there is a video that is making the rounds and I have received, I, I don't know how many times folks have pointed this to this video on Facebook on, uh, you know, they've sent me emails saying that I need to look at this video and, uh, and, uh, this doesn't, Well, this is what I would consider to be one of those things where I could demonstrate the need for clear, uh, Discernment. Not that somebody is. You know, this isn't necessarily bad discernment. This is an example of one of those things where sometimes Christians jump on the bandwagon on something that seems really like in the moment it sounds good, but then when you investigate the facts, yeah, no bueno. Um, so uh, there's a uh, there's a video that uh, people have been pointing me to, and the name of it is uh, "Prophecy Messiah Revealed." Is he coming soon? And uh, I'll be playing audio from that particular video and then showing you, you know, when these types of things show up, what you need to do so that you you don't know, get sucked in in the moment, you know, kind of in the hype. Because here's the deal, you know, we Christians, uh, really since Christ ascended into heaven, we have been on high alert that Jesus could come back any moment. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the, I don't like it when... Stories get told in such a way that not all the evidence is there. And as a result of it, well-meaning Christians jump onto the bandwagon going, oh, wow, wow, this could be this could be pointing us to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, I'm going to take a look at that. Um, Let's see. You know, I've been getting a lot of requests to weigh in on the new NIV. The I guess they've the the NIV 2011. Uh, It's 2010. I don't know why it's called the 2011 version of the NIV if it's already out. Maybe it isn't, but um, there's a, a story that's in the Christian Post about the new NIV Bible and how it's drawing criticisms over gender-related passages, and I'll weigh in, you know, weigh in on on that. Um, Al Mohler has done a piece regarding exorcisms, and then you know what? And I've got this story from the Indianapolis Star here. Um, I, you know, I don't even want to read the headline yet here, but it has to do with condom use. And uh, the Pope has—some uh, are thinking that the Pope is, um, you know, waffling a little bit on his position regarding condom use, and I'm concerned uh, that uh, this might send William Tapley into a bunker or something. Um, so we're going to take a look at that. And then our sermon review today uh, is— um, from South Hills Church in Corona, California, Pastor, um, well, Motivational Speaker uh, Chris Songson is uh, going to be uh, preaching the sermon that we're going to be reviewing today. And um, yeah, this uh, particular sermon is entitled Derailed Part 4. And the reason I want to play this uh, this particular sermon is because uh, he's handling the topic of the sin of David, which I think is very very valid and important uh, biblical section of Scripture for pastors to be handling. That being the case, it's important that that story be handled delicately and uh, in light of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, we're going to see how uh, Chris Songson handles that particular passage in our sermon review in our number two today. So we've got lots and lots of ground to cover if you would like to make yourself comfortable, please feel free. Fuzzy bunny slippers for those of you in the colder climates. Yeah, that that means our, our listeners down in uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Pacific Islands down there, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, South Africa, probably not a good idea for you guys to uh, put your fuzzy bunny slippers on since you guys are heading towards summer, not uh, winter, and we, we up here in the Northern Hemisphere uh well yeah, let's just put it this way my friends out there in uh, in uh was it Montana Northern California Oregon uh, Nevada Colorado you all got just clobbered by uh uh by snow this past weekend so if you if you guys are like you know still snowbound and uh you know and you're listening to the program today you know again fuzzy bunny slippers I'm telling you they really really do enhance your listener experience. And of course you got y'all you know that uh, your listener experience is the most important thing to me as I do fighting for the faith. So uh, with that we're going to dive into some uh, listener email. All right. Um this First message was left for me on my Facebook wall. Let's see here. This is from Michael in... Hold on, where are you from, Michael? Denver, Colorado. Ah, Probably snowbound. All right, Michael from Denver, uh, Colorado writes, uh, he says, "Uh, Chris, I think you need to create some type of Error slash heresy spectrum graphic. It's become so clear to me that we can't just throw every errant teacher into the heresy bin. There are shades of errors. I think the Calvinists and Baptists are all wet regarding their doctrine of baptism, pun intended, but they are clearly not heretics. I hear here I agree. He says, it's also clear that Dan Kimball was caught up in a movement that produced a lot of heretics, but that he personally is not a heretic. And that the people who are giving you a hard time regarding Dan Kimball appear to have an overly simplistic view of discernment that causes them to force square pegs into round holes and to get angry at you when you don't do that as well. Uh, Michael, uh, th- th- you know, this is a, you you bring up some good points here Um and uh, this reminds me of a story. Oh, man, how many years ago was this? Um, this has got to be six, seven years ago. Uh, William Rehnquist, uh, the late, uh, who the uh, the guy, former uh, chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. Um, he opened up a session of Congress. He by lecturing Congress. This was a while back now, because I, I think he's deceased. But uh, William Rehnquist uh, opened up a session of Congress by giving a lecture, making an appeal to the, to the lawmakers in the United States that uh, they were committing a, a big error. And the big error was is that so, met, so much of the new legislation that they were writing that at each and every law that was written that, the, that it was considered a felony. And he made an appeal to Congress and said, "Have you guys forgotten?" This is Rosebrough's paraphrase from, an I yeah, from a long forgotten uh, news story. But he says, "Have you guys forgotten about the idea of a misdemeanor? Not every law that's written requires you to slap the felony charge on it. Some laws, if somebody breaks it, that could be considered a misdemeanor. Other laws, those are considered felonies. And so you want to save the felony charge for like the super." You know that it has to rise to a particular level, and so he began by lecturing Congress, reminding them of where those parameters would be, so that uh, as they're uh, as they're enforcing the laws in the judicial system, that uh, that uh, people are facing the appropriate uh, sentence or the appropriate consequence for the, uh, the, uh, that's commiserate with their with the crime that they committed and i think michael you've got a good point here and and that is is that there you know many of the teachers the pastors that we've feature here at fighting for the faith some of them like patricia king she's a flat out heretic i mean uh, she she feigns orthodoxy uh yet she teaches he- flat out you know ridiculous heresy and uh, so she, uh, very dangerous and then and then you have others you know who uh who, for the most part, would you could say yes? This is somebody who clearly believes orthodoxy. However, their actions show uh, that they that um, they constantly engage in Bible twisting and other things. And so, this is kind of where I, I, the idea here is: is that when we look at different errors that are being kicked around in the church, sometimes those errors are being uh, promoted by people who are well-meaning Christians, but they're well-meaning and wrong. Other times, it, the what we're dealing with is somebody who is purposely denying the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith and attacking them and calling for a rethinking of uh, Christian doctrine, like in the case of Brian McLaren. And then we've got somebody like, uh, you know, how do we handle somebody like Rick Warren? Which I think is probably one of the, uh, the things that uh, that needs to be handled with the most discernment. The reason why is because Rick Warren, uh, he... he publicly affirms orthodoxy and yet at every single turn that the guy has he's endorsing people whose uh, theology is whacked he personally engages in the probably the worst scripture twisting i've seen anybody commit that's supposed to be within the visible body i mean uh, as somebody who's been trained in uh, cult apologetics and uh, been and has spent a lot of time witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, I can tell you without blushing that Rick Warren twists the Bible as badly as any Mormon or Jehovah's Witness that I've ever run into. So on the one hand, he claims orthodoxy, and then his actions are not consistent with that confession. And so in those cases, you have to be very careful how you how you phrase it. And so with somebody like Rick Warren, I say, well, he— publicly says that he affirms orthodoxy, yet his behavior is radically inconsistent with that confession. And so what you want to look at when you're looking at people in the church is what do they believe and what do they teach and confess? If what they teach and confess isn't consistent with what they say they believe, then, uh, then you may potentially be dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the sheep's clothing being orthodoxy. So now the question comes up, is that what Dan Kimball is? Is he a wolf whose Orthodox doctrinal uh, subscription is the sheep's clothing to hide the uh, the, the teeth and the and, and all that kind of stuff? No, I at least that's my position at the moment, and that's based upon my personal conversations with him and my research. Is he a wolf? He I I did not detect any wolfiness there is he uh, so he believes teaches and confess historic Christianity or probably a better way to put it with Kimball is is that um, it's more like uh, mainstream evangelical orthodoxy would probably be the, the way to put it and. Um, I would I, I would even say Kimball's probably far more conservative than uh, even Rick Warren is. But that being the case, uh, the 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 questions of his methodologies have to come into play, and uh, his methodologies are far more consistent uh, with uh, Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism than they are with monergism. And as a result of it, that's where I think the conversation needs to steer – and uh and so yeah, but uh, with Rick Warren what we've got there is a problem and that is is that he he confesses he publicly says that he believes orthodoxy and yet he re- radically twists God's word w- handles it uh, just abominably uh, completely mangles law and gospel and 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 not only that when he's been challenged to repent of that behavior uh He hasn't turned. he continues to actually get worse. in fact, I'm convinced that Rick Warren is our current day uh version of uh Robert Schuler. yeah, Rick Warren is to the church today as as what Robert Schuler was to the church twelve years ago, and I think that's a fair assessment now, I could be wrong. Uh, if you disagree with me, you, you, you're you absolutely free to. And the, my question is, if you disagree with me, what what evidence do you have to do the contrary? So uh, and then, you know, I've even publicly said on this, this program that I have a huge, huge problem with Bill Hybels in the direction that he's going. I think Bill Hybels uh, uh, actions of late uh, are not consistent with somebody who uh, they're, they're not consistent with orthodoxy at all, inviting flat out heretics to. Uh, speak at his leadership conferences and and uh, promoting them as brothers and sisters that that shows either a complete lack of discernment biblical discernment on his part um or worse but see in the in those situations you got you 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 got to throw the different options out there and ask the question and basically say i'm not sure where, what the conclusion is but what i'm seeing here is something that's uh, that is very very dangerous and problematic so so that's where you know so when we deal when we're dealing with discernment many times we don't have all the data we and and you know and even if there's a lot of data out there maybe i haven't processed it all maybe i haven't seen it all and so when I, hold, when I hold a position regarding a teacher and uh, you know, my, my view on them, it's based upon the data that I've seen and a, an attempt to, to come to a correct conclusion regarding that teacher based upon that data, and it's held with an open hand in, in this sense – that if I can – if there's more data out there that I haven't weighed that needs to be considered in these uh, circumstances that can change the way I – what I've concluded regarding a person, then I'll do that. So, Michael, coming back to what you said, yes, we, I think we need, we need to look at these things in light of some kind of a spectrum of error. Um, you know, you know, so the idea is, is that uh, the, the problems that we're dealing with with uh, Brian McLaren, that, who's flat out a heretic – uh, are not the same as the problems that we're dealing with a Dan Kimball, and are even uh, even not the same exact problems that we're dealing with with somebody like a Rick Warren. You know, so the idea here is is that you have to look at the data, and you have to derive valid inferences and conclusions from the data, and not suppress particular data or engage in faulty logic or you know, logical fallacies in order to co- draw incorrect conclusions. So you know the eighth commandment kind of being the thing that uh, that reigns there. So, but I I think you're right. I think you're right that uh, we need to uh, you know that maybe I should come up with a way of basically saying, as of today, you know, here's my assessment based upon this data, and here's where they fall on the spectrum. You know, that I think it might be a way of putting it because. I think it's a faulty idea to put everybody into the heresy bin, you know, you know, just slap them in the, you know, you're no, I, and it, don't even try to get out of there. Once you're in the heresy bin, you can't get out. So <laughs> at least that's what I've noticed. So um, let me see if I can find this other email really quick here. Um, Yes, here we go. Um, Diane writes, and I do not know where Diane is from. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can ascertain her location on uh, planet Earth? Answer, no. <laughs> I don't know where Diane is from. Diane writes, she says, I just want to thank you for the work that you do on Pirate Christian Radio. I know it's been a tough week for you. Uh, that, Yeah, that is a little bit of an understatement, but it has opened my eyes to a lot of things. I've been listening to your show for about three years, and I feel a debt of gratitude to you for helping me identify the problems with the bad theology I was hearing in my previous church. I've also been an avid reader ...of discernment websites over the same period of time, and I became quite good at identifying the latest heresies and who was in and who was out. I read uh, I read pictures and articles about Nadia Bowles-Weber and wrote her off as someone I would not wish to associate with. Then I heard your show where you said that you'd become friends with Nadia and how you were reaching out to her through your friendship and how you were grateful... Uh, that Rod Rosenblatt did that with you, and listening to you describe how Nadia had gone into the emergent route, I was weeping because I realized you could so easily ha- uh, that you could so easily have been describing me. I was beaten up by works righteousness, was in total despair, and during that dark time a young man preached a different gospel, which was really appealing. I tried to follow up with him, but nothing seemed to come of it. I later realized he was preaching the emergent gospel. So yes, I could easily have ended up in the emergent church, but for God's grace, uh, I, I would be, and I judged her so hard based on what someone wrote about her teaching. We forget that these are real people. Yeah, last uh, this last week, I've been astounded by the furor surrounding your interview with Dan Kimball. Maybe I'm naive and hopeless, uh, uh, naive and hopeless romantic at heart, but my inclination is to take what someone says at face value until those words are mis are misproven or proven wrong. And First uh, Corinthians thirteen six says, "Love always hopes; equally, love rejoices in the truth." But it seems to me from listening to him that he's teaching Orthodox Christianity. Anyway, Dan's article on Discernment websites brought uh, me up short when he asked whether those of us who had read them spend as much time in brokenness and interacting with those who need a Savior, and I need to repent of this too. I am learning a lot through you and your treatment of those with whom you disagree, and more specific, your love and compassion for those with whom you disagree. May God bless your work in Christ, Diana. Diana, you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for this email. I, I think you you nailed it. I think you got, I think you got this right on the head. You know, it's it. I, I think it comes back to uh, to what's in Romans uh, chapter thirteen about you know the misuse of the gifts of the spirit, and I think it applies here. It I think it applies. Um, hang on a second here, First Corinthians thirteen. Uh, okay, there we go. There we go. First Corinthians 13. Uh, talking about misusing the gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. I give... If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Gain nothing. And you're sitting there going, you're misquoting it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about the misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. And teaching and discernment are gifts of the Spirit. And they're to be administered and used in love. I, I just want to reiterate this fact, is that that would be me today. You know, if Rod Rosenblatt had not stepped in, had not taken the time to clear up my theology, there is a good chance I would be an atheist or an emergent today, especially in light of the fact of how badly I was abused by all law preaching and not hearing the gospel for me and my and the forgiveness of my sins. As a result of it, uh, that, I you know... It, I I guess the way I put it is is they say the worst smoker is uh, is, is you know the worst smoker is somebody who's a, who is a former smoker. I forget how the phrase goes. But uh, that being the case, um you know I have a real soft spot, spot in my heart for many who are in the emergent church. And because I've taken the time to go to emergent uh conferences. And by the way, attending a uh, attending a conference or even speaking at a conference is not, is not the same as being in fellowship with somebody who is, uh, has a different theological view, or is even a heretic. I just want to say that. But that being the case, because I've taken the time to go to these conferences to get to know these people personally, the one thing I can say with, uh, with absolute confidence is that many of the lay people who are involved in the emergent conversation— many of them not all but many of them are there because they have been hurt really really deeply by all law no gospel preaching or they have been spiritually abused by uh you know by somebody who was misusing the scriptures and, and uh in a way that uh was goes beyond the authority that the scriptures give them as a result um I got to be careful how I say this because it's gonna. I, I don't want you to take this more more than what it is. I guess you could say one of the positive things, if you, if you say that. But uh, one of the positive things about the emergent conversation is that it gives people the space to stop and ask some questions and sort out their doubts. Now one of the pro- one of the problems is is that while they're sorting out their doubts and asking the questions you have emergent leaders who are there to offer them their their new form of uh, liberalized heresy and uh and uh, so as a result of it that you know it's it's a very dangerous dangerous and compromised place that they're in when that happens that being the case knowing that that's one of the things that challenges me and motivates me to go and attend and participate in the conversation. Because the one thing that you know that I can say about emergence is that um, they mean what they say, uh, although sometimes begrudgingly, that all voices are welcome in their emergent conversation. Since they haven't kicked me out and they say that my voice is welcome, it behooves me to participate in these uh, public emergent conversations to bring the gospel to those who have been really hurt and broken by uh, all law, no gospel preaching. And again, that doesn't fit the category of everybody there. And, um, you know, I was reminded, you know, last week, oh man, um, you know, as I was watching some of the debate that was occurring on my Facebook wall, there was a gal who showed up who, uh, who hangs in some of the emergent circles and, uh, and, And she had said something about, uh, you know, how nice and loving the people in the Emergent Conversation are. And I affirmed that. I said, you know, some of the folks in the Emergent Conversation are some of the nicest people that I know. And one of my listeners kind of took a shot and said, well, they need to be called to repentance. (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) yes, they do. However, uh, let's let's clear some things up. Uh, in In those situations, in that situation, the idea there is is that we're dealing with somebody who I think biblically could be described as a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. They are this this thing's about ready to snap off. The light's about. I mean, the 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 small little tiny thing of a flame that's there is about ready to be snuffed out, and. They don't need the law they don't they don't need a law sermon preached to them. What they need to hear is of, of the love of Christ and the love of their Savior and so um you know we so many times when we do discernment, it's or, or you know we as Christians we understand what the truth is, and we we rightfully understand that people need to be brought to repentance and the forgiveness of sins for their false teaching. that being said. We also need to understand that we need to be loving and respectful in how we portray that and we many times need to take the time to shut up and listen to find out why somebody holds a theology because one of the things that I've I've also discovered is that sometimes some people hold a heretical view not because they think that that, that view is really all that compelling. In fact, they they might even they may not care as to whether or not from a thoughtful point of view as to whether or not it's defensible, but many times they'll hold a view because uh, they're just mad and angry at the person who abused them spiritually. They're just madder than a hornet at uh, what's happened to them and how poorly they were mistreated and how they constantly had the law shoved down their throat, but were never taught of the mercy and the forgiveness of grace in Christ. And as a result of it, what happens is is that they jump ship and reject uh, Orthodox Christianity in anger for how badly they were mistreated. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't excuse them, but I'm trying to tell you that there are some in the emergent camp that this is what they're doing. This is exactly what they're doing. It's, it's, like, the, uh, it's like a girl who grew up in a very abusive home and as soon as she's 18, she leaves home, she gets you know, she gets tattoos and piercings and dyes her hair black and just uglifies herself. That's in rebellion to how poorly she was treated by her father or her mother. Now you're tempted to sit there and go, "You know what, they just need to cut that out." Yeah, they do need to cut that out, but you need to reach out to them in love and listen. Spend the time to find out where they're hurting and let them vomit on you because that's what they need to do. You come alongside the sick and the broken and understand that Jesus came for them. He came for sinners. And that Christians and non-Christians, I mean, we do stupid things for stupid reasons. We're all screwed up. The effects of our sin is deep, 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 and it causes us to do all kinds of crazy things. And so, because of what Christ has done for us, because of the mercy that he has shown us, because of the love that he has shown us, in that he died for your sins, yours. And you know just how deep and pernicious and wretched you are. If he can forgive you, he can forgive them. If he can forgive me, he can forgive them. And so we're ambassadors of the gospel, ambassadors of the gospel, and as much as it's possible for us, you know, let's not be an obstacle to that gospel, but reach people in love. Does that mean that we just politically correctly squish things over and turn everything into some kind of a care bear huggy moment? No, that's not what I'm saying. Many times, loving somebody requires you to be in their face and calling out their sin. And other times, it requires you to shut up and listen. Because some of the folks in the emergent camp, they are not mad at Jesus. They're mad at that jerk pastor who's constantly, 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 like the John Lithgow character in Footloose was preaching nothing but man-made self-righteousness and law and had lost sight of the greater things of God, namely the mercy and forgiveness of love of God for sinners through his death on the cross. And it's for me and it's for you. It's for Christians and for non-Christians. And sometimes when folks have experienced that type of abuse, The last thing they need is a sermon. What they really need, really need, is someone to take the time to stop and listen and let them vent. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Some of the folks in the emergent church are just that. They are smoldering wicks. Anyway, we are up on our first break. When we come back, we'll do a little bit of discernment work and uh, and then our sermon review in hour number two. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
1: Sisioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and a nice Hawaiian shirts. damn! I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
1: Uh, what?
2: You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are.
1: Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat>
0: I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody
1: expects the um purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief ex-
2: weapons are
1: our chief weapons are um purpose. Uh, uh, vision. Okay, and- okay, stop,
2: stop that, stop that. Uh, our chief weapons, are purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough. Now, how do you plead?
0: Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha,
2: ha, 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 we'll soon change your mind about that.
0: All right, we're back. Warning sometimes discernment requires you to listen, then speak. <laughs> need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. Yeah, this is Join Our Crew. When you're joining our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, I don't have segment music for this next segment. But uh, let me kind of set this up by saying that um, a wh- I probably have received emails for this YouTube video. Um, oh man, I, I've lost track because the, the the current the current iteration that it's in. Uh, this is a video that somehow gets copied and passed along on YouTube, and I've been receiving links to this one for quite a while. And what I want you to do is I want you to hear the video first. It's regarding a a, a um. Uh, a rabbi who uh, died a few years ago in Israel, who claims that he knows he knew, that that he knew the name of the Messiah, and on the surface this sounds like ooh wow this could be interesting, and then when you dig into the details of the story you realize whoa this is not something we should be passing along, and so this is an example of uh, you want to engage in discernment even when especially, especially when. You know, there's stories that are being kicked around in such a way that, you know, they sound like they, you know, that that Christians should be excited about it. Let me give you here. So here's this video on uh, so-called prophecy. Messiah is uh, revealed. He's coming soon is the name of this video. Here we go.
3: On April the 30th, 2007, just a little over three years ago, Israel Today ran this amazing headline story. Rabbi reveals the name of the Messiah. Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri was famously known for his memorization of the Bible, the Talmud, and other Jewish writings. He was a teacher and a revered master at Nahalat Yitzhak Yeshiva Seminary. He knew Jewish sages and celebrities of the last century and rabbis who lived in the Holy Land who kept the faith alive before the state of Israel was even born. Kaduri was not only highly esteemed because of his age of 108, but he was charismatic and wise. Chief rabbis looked up to him as a righteous man. Thousands visited him to ask for counsel or healing. His followers speak of many miracles, and his students say that he was a prophet of many disasters. A few months before Kaduri died at the age of 108, he...
0: Now, i got to pause there for a second, but boy, this sounds really good. I mean, wow, you know, a well-respected rabbi. Uh, yeah, but um, he was into the Kabbalah. Yeah, he's a Kabbalist. He's a Jewish... Mystic.
3: We continue. He surprised his followers when he told them that he had personally met the Messiah. The Messiah had appeared to him. He wrote the name of the Messiah in a note, he said. His official website had mentioned the Messiah note. David Kaduri, the rabbi's 80-year-old son, confirmed that in his last year, his father had talked and dreamed almost exclusively about the Messiah and his coming. My father has met the Messiah in a vision, he said, and he told us that he was coming very soon. Kaduri gave a message in his synagogue on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, teaching how to recognize the Messiah. He also mentioned that the Messiah would appear to Israel after Ariel Sharon passed. When Kaduri died, January the 28th, 2006, more than 200,000 people joined the funeral procession on the streets of Jerusalem to pay their respects as he was taken to his final resting place. Shortly before he died, this teacher of Israel wrote the name of the Messiah on a small note which he requested would remain sealed for one year. One year later, the note was opened. It, now this is true, this this is factually true. In 2007, when the note was opened, it read as follows. Concerning the letter abbreviation of the Messiah's name, he will lift the people and prove that his word and law are valid. The Hebrew sentence with the hidden name of the Messiah reads like this. The acronym of that sentence, that is the letter abbreviation that Kaduri spoke of, or the first initials of each word, spell the Hebrew name of Jesus, or Yehoshua, or Yeshua. Again, this is factually correct. Hebrew root word of salvation. When the name of Yehoshua appeared in Kaduri's message, ultra-Orthodox Jews from his seminary in Jerusalem argued that their master must not have left the exact solution for decoding the Messiah's name. The revelation received scant coverage in the Israeli media. Only the Hebrew websites, News First Class, and Kaduri.net mentioned the Messiah's note. Both of them insisting that it was authentic. Israel today spoke to two of Kaduri's followers in Jerusalem who admitted that the note was authentic, but very confusing for his followers as well. We have no idea how the rabbi got to this name of the Messiah, one of them said. I know this the answer of the identity of the Messiah as Jesus, given to Kaduri supposedly, is absolute truth. As such, I believe it had to have been revealed from Jesus himself appearing to Kaduri.
0: Okay, this is where uh,
3: things are steering into a bad direction, and I'll explain why in a second. Much the same as Jesus appeared to the Jewish Pharisee Paul on the road to Damascus 2,000 years ago. It is amazing that the leading Jewish teacher of Israel until 2006 would, on his deathbed, proclaim in a message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and is soon to return. Again, we're... hang on. That is astounding and almost unthinkable. It is also amazing that he was specifically told that Jesus would return shortly after Ariel Sharon's death. As of the making of this film, Ariel Sharon is still alive. And he is still alive right now. In a coma. Could it be that this modern-day Apostle Paul received from the Lord Jesus that his return is indeed very, very soon? Okay, now here's the question. Did Rabbi,
0: Is Rabbi Kaduri a, a, a modern-day Apostle Paul? Did he ever repent of his Judaism and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of his sins like Paul did? Now, this video has been making the email rounds, okay? And so what I want to do is, you know, kind of demonstrate how we do discernment here. First of all, you don't jump on bandwagons, you know. When you see something like this, you should sit there and go, wait, 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 wait. Didn't Jesus say that no one knows the day or the hour? Now, I I agree. I don't know what day or hour Ariel Sharon is supposed to die because um, God hasn't revealed that. But if, you know, the, I mean, Jesus is going to come back when Ariel Sharon uh, finally stops breathing. Is that what we should conclude from this? Well, no. In fact, uh, back in May of 2007... World Net Daily wrote an article, a, a news article about this exact story, and I'm going to read it for you. And as I'm reading, I want you to ask yourself this simple question: Is the Jesus that Rabbi Kaduri is describing, is it the Jesus of the New Testament? Is it the Jesus that the disciples spent three years with? witness being crucified and raised from the dead and preached and proclaimed uh, uh, in their time, calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. So is this Jesus that Rabbi Kaduri is talking about, is this the biblical Jesus? Or is this a false Christ, the kind of Christ that Jesus warned us about? Okay, so let me read. Uh, this was uh, posted May eighteenth, two thousand and seven, at WorldNetDaily, and I do not have a byline, so this is kind of interesting. A controversy is raging in Israel, is ev- in evangelical circles in the U.S., and on Kabbalah web forums worldwide, following the posthumous release of what a Reverend Sephardic rabbi claimed to uh, be the name of the Messiah. When Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri died in February 2006, somewhere between the age of 106 to possibly 117, they didn't know his age, 300,000 people attended his funeral in Jerusalem. The Baghdad-born Kabbalist had gained notoriety around the world for issuing apocalyptic warnings and for saying he personally met... The long-awaited Jewish Messiah in November of 2003. Really? Before Kaduri died, he reportedly wrote the name of the Messiah on a small note requesting it to remain sealed for one year after his death. The note revealed the name of the Messiah as Yehoshua or Yeshua, the or the Hebrew name for Jesus. However, complicating the story further, the note is being challenged as a forgery by his 80-year-old son, Rabbi David Kaduri. Kaduri, by the way, uh, um, I think that uh, they've established that it really was his note. Uh, uh, Rabbi Kaduri said, It's not his writing, he quoted as telling Israel today, The note written in Hebrew and signed in the rabbi's name said concerning the letter abbreviation of the Messiah's name, he will lift the people and prove his word and law are valid. This I have signed in the month of mercy. The Hebrew sentence consists of six words. The first letter of each word spells out the Hebrew name Yehoshua. Uh, The finding has raised a combination of of excitement and controversy in both Jewish and Christian circles, but Scarcely any media attention. Jewish blogs and web for uh, web forums are filled with skeptical analysis and puzzlement. Quote, so this means Rabbi Kaduri was a Christian? Asked one pos- uh, poster rhetorically. Another wrote, Quote, "The Christians are dancing and celebrating." Well, n- not exactly. In fact, many Christian discussion boards say Kaduri dis- Kaduri's description of the Messiah, no matter what his name, doesn't fit the biblical account of a returned Jesus of Nazareth, who they believe will rule and reign on earth uh, from Jerusalem. About his encounter with the Messiah, Kaduri claimed is alive in in Israel today. He reportedly told close relatives, quote, he is not saying I am the Messiah, give me the leadership, but rather the nation is pushing him to Uh, lead them after they find, in my words, signs showing that he has the status of Messiah. Kaduri was also quoted as saying the imminent arrival of the Messiah will, quote, save Jerusalem from Islam and from Christianity uh, that wish to take Jerusalem from the Jewish nation, but they will not succeed and they will fight each other and they will fight each other. So according to Kaduri, who supposedly met in November 2003 with the Messiah, the Messiah didn't even really know for sure he was the Messiah, and he won't be the Messiah until the people of Israel push him to be the Messiah, and that uh, when he uh, rises to power, he will save Jerusalem from Islam and from Christianity sentiments like that have some christians wondering if kaduri might be uh, talking about another yeshua perhaps even a miracle performing false christ many evangelicals believe will precede the return of jesus it's it's hard for many good people in society to understand the person of messiah kaduri wrote Before his death, the leadership and order of a Messiah of flesh and blood is hard to accept for many in the nation. A leader, the Messiah, will not hold any office but will be among the people and use the media to communicate his reign will be pure and without personal or political desire. During his dominion, only righteousness and truth will reign. Kaduri wrote, that not all will believe in the Messiah and it will uh, often be easier for non-religious people to accept him. He also describes a Messiah who is at first not aware of his own position as Messiah. So I, you know, so here's the question. Okay. When you get things like this in your email, you know, from well-meaning Christians and brothers who are excited, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Uh, do you, uh, practice some discernment and, uh, get some more of the details, because, well, here's the way I see it. When you get the details, well, any Messiah who would, quote, save Jerusalem from Christianity, (laughs) that ain't the biblical Jesus. Yeah, and, and so Kaduri, you know, a Jewish Kabbalist, claims to have met with the Messiah, Yehoshua, who didn't even know that he was the Messiah, but, well, that'll come about as a, And he'll save Jerusalem from Christianity. So check your details. Exercise some discernment. Check your facts. Because when you do that and things don't line up biblically, yeah, then you know that you're not dealing with the biblical Jesus. You're dealing with a false Christ, the kind of Christ that Jesus warned us about. And keep this in mind. Jesus told us that false Christs and false prophets would arise and perform miracles to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Even the elect. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we got uh, sermon review. I'll save my uh, my other stories for tomorrow, especially this exorcism thing from uh, Al Muller. But you know what? Hang on. Before I do that, I could do this really quickly here. Quick story from the Indianapolis Star. The headline reads: uh, Pope condom use by some is positive. Oh boy. Um. Yeah, this, I don't know what William Tapley is going to do with this information. Vatican City, Pope Benedict uh, the 16th, has opened the door on a previously taboo subject of condoms as a way to fight HIV, saying male prostitutes who use condoms may be, uh, may be beginning to act responsibly. It's a stunning comment for a pontiff who has blamed condoms for making the AIDS crisis worse. The Pope made the comments in an interview with a German journalist published As the book titled Light of the World, the Pope, the Church, and the Signs of the Times, which is being released Tuesday, the Vatican newspaper La Osservatore Romano uh, ran excerpts on Saturday. Church uh, teaching has long opposed condoms because they are a form of artificial contraception. Although the Vatican has never released an explicit policy about condoms and HIV, the Vatican has been harshly criticized for its position. Benedict said that condoms Are not a moral solution to stopping AIDS, but he said in some cases, such such as for male prostitutes, their use could represent a first step in assuming moral responsibility in the intention of reducing the risk of infection. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to comment on this any further than to say this that um, I'm not. I, I've got to check the William Tapley Third Eagle of the Apocalypse website to see if he's gone into a bunker as a result of this uh, particular news story. I'll keep you posted. So, yeah, it's you know because I mean William Tapley has basically said if you use one of these, uh, that you won't be raptured. Uh, you know, apparently that means you're not going to you know, and saying no, no amount of saying the rosary is going to save you either. But uh, I have to check with the Third Eagle see what he has to say about this thing. All right, uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, you can do so. My email address: talkback at dot com. Or you can ask me and my friend on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. We will be right back.
1: Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough.
0: Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Chris Songson, one of the purpose-driven pastors down there in Corona, California, is uh, known for not quite getting it When he's preaching the Bible, see if he lands on his feet today. I'm pulling for him, (laughs) but I'm not holding my breath.
3: (laughs) The good, the bad, the ugly.
0: Uh, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via South Hills Church, Corona, California, a multi site, purpose driven ish type church. Pastor, public speaker, and uh, motivational speaker um, Chris Songson presiding. The name of the sermon is Derailed, Part Quattro. and that's four, yeah, Part Four. That's right. If you missed Part One, Two, and Three, it's a real nail-biter. Weeping and gnashing of teeth and things like that. Now today we're going to be listening to him wax eloquent regarding David you know, David, King David. And you're, he's going to give synopses, a synopsis, synopsi. He's going to give us a run-through, kind of an overview of the uh, story of David and Bathsheba, and we're going to be doing some cleanup work along the way. Now, what we're listening for, proper distinction of law and gospel, proper understanding of sin and grace, and here's the ultimate question, Is Jesus presented as the solution to the problem, or are you somehow required to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Yeah, bootstrap Christianity is law Christianity, not gospel Christianity, and the law is designed to kill us. It's not the solution to our problem. It points its bony finger at us because we don't keep it, but it doesn't give us the power to keep it. Yeah, proper distinction line. Let me kill this. So without any further ado, here is uh, Chris Songson, South Hills Church, Corona, California, Derailed Part Quattro. Here we go.
1: All right. Hey, let's grab our outline. Let's get right into the Part 4 of Derailed. Everybody doing good tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. It is so good to see you here. So excited that Christmas is approaching. It's my favorite time of the year. Uh, I could use a new car. A few of you are laughing. That is not friendly at all. I have a RAV and it is on its last leg. It's on, it's a four cylinder car running on three cylinders, but it gets, uh, uh, it gets 106 miles a gallon. So I appreciate that. No. Hey, it is so good to see you. I want you to grab your outline. We are in an awesome series that we've been in for the last three weeks, and we have just two more parts tonight and tomorrow, or tonight tomorrow, tonight and next weekend, and uh, uh, we've got uh, um, just, we've been looking at the series called Derailed, and what we've been talking about is that there are areas in our life where we get derailed. Some of us have been derailed financially. We talked about that earlier as a church and how we're going to fix that. We're going to get back on track. And we've been derailed, some of us, in our marriage. Some of us have been derailed uh, financially, spiritually, whatever it is. Sometimes we get derailed. And so what we've been looking at is we've been looking at five major characters in the Bible. We've looked at Jonah. We looked at Samson. We looked at one of the disciples named Peter. And today...
0: <clears throat> derailed. isn't Okay, so we're dealing with sin. That, I mean... Let me just translate this into
1: Bible speak, S-I-N. Okay. We're looking at a guy named David, so I want you to grab this. And as you grab this, just want to let you know our Santiago campus is doing amazing. It's been going a little over a month now, and that's been awesome. Keep praying for that. That's really, really cool. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had anybody that you absolutely uh, spiritually admire, maybe from a distance? Okay, someone that you can, or just anyone that you admire and you look at, man, I really admire that person, uh, whoever that person is. You know, I have had two people in my life that I very much have admired personally. There's a lot of people I admire from a distance, but I don't know who they are. I mean, I don't, I don't have a relationship with them, but there's two guys. One guy named Vic Trimmer, and another guy named Fred Cottrell. They're pastors, and I've always admired these guys. These guys just, you know, they were, they, they both have passed away in the last couple of years, uh, but they've been, they've always taken me under their wing, and they've always been great to me, and they've always been kind to me, and spiritually, and, and uh, just awesome guys. One of them I was on staff with years, 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 years ago, when I was a youth pastor i'll never forget it was a large auditorium uh it was a huge church i used to work at had 60 or 70 acres and had trams to bring the people in and that sounds like saddleback had football uh, fields and basketball court had restaurants on the facility it was an amazing thing 360 employees at the church can you believe that it was amazing it was awesome no i awesome you'd meet people like how long hey you new here no i i'm on staff oh well good to have you uh just very odd, but anyway. So I was working at this church, and uh, I walked in with a soda in my hand. And Vic Trimmer, he was—he's about eighty, eighty-one years old. He's the oldest guy on the staff, and he came up to me. He's a traditionalist. Having a soda in God's house was next to death. And he came up to me. I serious, he came up to me. And he goes, what? and he had—he had one of him. He was kind of heavy, and he had one of those chins. What are you doing, son? You know, and just. And I said, I said, nothing, sir. And he goes, you have a soda? In, he goes, you have a soda in God's house. And I said, yeah. And he goes, he goes, you get out of here. He goes, you can't have a soda in God's house like that. And I go, "Well," uh, and he goes, this is not right. He goes, God wouldn't want this. I mean, he was like on me, you know, but I admired the guy. And I'm like, sir, it's seven up. It's a holy thing. And so he said, he said, no, I don't care. I don't care. So, but I admired this guy. I totally admired him as a spiritual sort of dad. You know, I could never imagine in my mind, Vic Trimmer or Fred Cottrell doing anything wrong. David, at this... Bi- okay, I want to point something out here.
0: We're not beginning in a text. We're re- beginning with a topic. <sighs> uh-huh
1: in the Bible named David, found in kind of 1 Samuel, Second Samuel, in that area. This dude named David was a king, but he was a guy that people probably in that day could never imagine he would do anything wrong. I mean, the dude was, the dude was pretty holy, you know. Check it out. Let's look at your outline. David's life. First thing, chosen by God to be what? Out loud? King. Say it like you actually are enjoying here. Chosen to be what? King. Okay, he's chosen to be king. Now, David, first of all, he's chosen to be king. He was chosen as a little boy. He had a bunch of older brothers, and some guy came along and said, God sent me here to find the king. And they looked at the old brothers, and they said, none of these will do. Do you have any other, bro- do you have any other sons? He goes, yeah, I got one. He's out there tending the sheep. He's only like 15 years old. You want to look at him? He went out there, and he goes, that's the one. And so he he was chosen to be king. Okay, second thing is he was a warrior in God's army. If you know anything about David, he was a warrior. He actually fought against uh, Goliath, and he won. When his brothers were chickening out, he had a slingshot, and he shot uh, Goliath right between the, the eyes and the forehead, and down he came. He was a warrior. David was also a composer and poet. You know that it was David that wrote most of Psalms? Actually, a lot of them are not only poems, but they're songs. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Those are words of David, written thousands of years ago that people are still singing in churches today. Many of the phrases that we sing still in our songs right here on the weekend services are phrases from David's books. He was a poet. He was an author. He was a composer. And he had a heart after God. Matter of fact, God said only of one human being on the earth, he said, That man has a heart after me. He only ever said that about David. Check this out. Not only that, he was blessed and what? Highly Highly favored. He was blessed and highly favored. The dude was blessed and highly favored. He was, so this guy had it going on. He was king. He was a composer. He was a songwriter. He was an author. He was a poet. He was highly favored. Everybody worshiped him, loved him. The Bible says he was extremely good looking. And he was very wealthy. In modern times, he was worth about $750 million. He was very, very wealthy, very good-looking. I know what he went through. I, I, I relate. But here's the deal. Something went radically wrong in David's life. I mean, the dude had it all. Composer, author, he had it all. I mean, the dude just, he had everything. But something went radically wrong in David's life where he fell. All of a sudden... He went from this guy that no one like my friend Vic Trimmer with the chin that no one would ever think that guy would do anything wrong. David ended up doing something wrong. David committed adultery, David committed murder, and matter of fact uh he made it big cover-up over it, the dude did a lot wrong. Something went wrong. You see, David got derailed because he went into a danger zone in his life, and he never got out of that danger zone. I mean, he was kind of, like, going along. Everything's cool. I mean, you're the... A a, a, a
0: what? (laughs) A danger zone? He went into a danger zone in his life? Hang on. You know, that reminds me of a... Of a... Well... This song. Okay, so David sinned because he went into the danger zone.
1: King, you were $750 million. You're blessed by God. You're a writer. You're a poet. You're a composer. You're, you're cruising along alive. And he started getting a little off track. He got into a danger zone, and he never seemed to kind of get back on track. There. He just kind of started. He was in a danger zone. Many of us have been in those dangerous situations. I just got back literally three or four hours ago from Mammoth. I was uh, not snowboarding. Uh, I was up there speaking uh, and uh, went up there. actually drove up there yesterday, spoke last night, spent the night, and then drove back today, five-hour drive, all by myself. I had a little DVD player, and I was watching Seinfeld, so it was okay. Um, that's true, actually. It was awesome, Kramer. Well, anyway, uh, so... I was, I was cruising along and watching, I go up there, I do my speaking, and I was thinking, maybe I'll drive home. It was like night at night, and I was thinking, no, I better not do that. But they said, okay, we, we have a room for you anyway at this certain hotel resort thing. I said, okay, whatever. So they gave me directions from where I spoke to this hotel where they had a room for me. So I went over there, and I go to the front desk, and it was you know hardly anybody there because I could see hardly any cars in the, in the under parking lot thing. And I walk up and uh, to the little lobby area, and this guy comes out. I kid you not. He he looked like anybody know. You got to be old for this one. anybody know Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times? This was this was him. You know, it was. Jeff. I thought, oh my gosh, he's back. And so he walks up and he's like, "Hey man, what's up?" I said, "Oh nothing." I said, "I got a room here. My last name's Songson. Blah blah blah." What's your name? Songson. 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 With an S. Yes with an S. And so he starts to do his thing. So we fill out the little paperwork. And this is what he does. me. I kid you not. He's all real casual about it. He goes, did you leave anything in your car? And I said, thinking, what's he going to do, rob me? And so he said, do you leave anything in your car? And I said, well, what do you mean? I leave anything in my car. He goes, you "No, know, like candy or, uh, or a chapstick or uh, a juice or anything like that. I said, are you hungry? And he said, no. And he said, he goes, but uh, and then he goes, last night we had a little bit of a problem out in the parking lot. I go, what happened? He goes, well, the bears haven't quite hibernated yet. And he goes, and so one of them got all mad because he wanted to get some of the candy inside one of our customer's car and he left it in there. And he goes, and I go, I go, so what well, did you just break the window? He goes, no, he tore the door off. <laughs> so with a long pause. I'm looking at him. He goes, so you might want to get your stuff out. I'm like, you think? And so he tells me this. Uh, now he tells, sends me back out there in the dark. Now with this whole bear story in my head. And so I go out there, you know, and I gotta, you know, I got my mace because that'll do it. Um, it's more like breath freshener for that bear. But anyway, so I go out there, I take care of all the madness, get back inside there. Now he, t- when, whenever you're in those situations, he's telling me this. He's saying, look, he says, you better get the stuff out of there because if you don't get the stuff out of there, it's very dangerous. David was in a situation that we're about to go into into his life that was very dangerous. He entered into a danger zone, and he never seemed to get out. He let it keep spiraling him down. This composer, this author, this millionaire, this called by God, king. God said he was a heart after him. He was the man. What went wrong with David? Uh, He sinned.
0: Yeah, it burbled up from inside of his heart. You know, he sinned. Notice the setup, though. Here, you know, apparently the way he's characterized David, maybe I'm missing this, but it sounds to me like he's character—he's basically characterized David as like a very successful American entrepreneurial business type dude. Yeah, maybe because that's like the epitome of like success, isn't it? The epitome of success to you know to leave the middle class. And to join the upper echelons of those who are, yeah, I mean, successful and artistic and good looking. You know, he's like a, a
1: really famous movie star type. What can we learn from him? Number one, ready? Here it is. Danger number one. I want you to write this in: drifting away from disciplines.
0: What? So the danger zone is drifting away from disciplines.
1: Drifting away from disciplines. Now, here's an interesting scripture. Let's pick it up at 2 Samuel, chapter uh, 11, verse 1. I want you to look look down with me on your outlines. This is important. You don't want to miss this. Okay, here's the first thing that went wrong in David's life. In the spring of the year, when kings what? Normally go out to where? War. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. Hold on a second. In the spring Right here, when, when the kings normally go out to war? Okay, what was David? The king. Why didn't he go out to war? Okay, it's Could it be because
0: he was, like, getting middle-aged? Maybe he was tired. It doesn't say. It just says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, it doesn't say that he, w- I mean, was there a sin in doing this? I mean, was it sinful for the uh, king to not go? I mean, could he be commander-in-chief from afar? <clears throat> Apparently, he. Uh, this, this sin happened because, uh, well, he wasn't practicing disciplines properly. To which you go, what?
1: It's the spring. It's the time when kings normally go out to war and David sends someone else. Something was going wrong. Something was happening. But the text doesn't say that. happening in the disciplines of David's life. But the text doesn't say that. You're reading it in that started him to start to derail. All of a sudden, kings normally go out to war. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the king of Israel at the time. He's the man. Everybody looks to him. It's a time for him to go out to war. We know he knows how to fight. He took down Goliath. But what's he do? He sends his buddy to go out to war and says, You go with me. I'm going to stay here. What happened? Something happened where he began to drift away from his disciplines. Something. Uh, What?
0: Something happened, but the text doesn't say what that something was. But we can tell it was something because, well, he didn't go to war. And that's normally what kings do.
1: Oh, boy. Went wrong. Now, it doesn't say, but let's just kind of go a little farther. Yeah, well, did you hear that? It
0: doesn't say. That's kind of like the most important part of this sermon so far. He, The text doesn't say any of this stuff. But apparently he's found it in there. Does Chris Songson su- uh, subscribe to the Perry Noble a school of hermeneutical thought where you stick a Bible passage in a hat and wait for the translucent spiritual green letters to appear to t- to give you the text in the subtext?
1: <sighs> maybe. Maybe it wasn't just his disciplines as a king. Maybe all of a sudden he just, you know, kind of didn't study the scripture as much. Maybe the discipline of not, you know, praying as much. Maybe he wasn't Maybe he had a pastor who was engaging in
0: eisegesis
1: writing as many songs or as many poems and he wasn't spending time with god something happened in david's life where all of a sudden you can see it in the very first verse this whole story starts with this was a normal thing for you to do and normally david would do this but he stopped doing- maybe he had uh,
0: you know a, a bad knee maybe he had a torn ligament maybe he had a, i don't know maybe he had the chicken pox you know the funny thing is is the text doesn't say Maybe he was suffering from really painful
1: bunions. (sighs) Doing the normal thing. Drifting away from disciplines. Now, maybe he
0: had, well, you know, gastrointestinal problems. Maybe he suffered from, you know, maybe he had food poisoning. I mean, the text doesn't say. But apparently Chris Songson has figured out that what was really happening here is that David was drifting away from disciplines. Uh, Could you show me, um, Pastor Soxon, where in the Old Testament the disciplines that he was supposed to be engaging in were listed? And then can you show me from this text that he wasn't engaging in those disciplines, that he was, well, you know, drifting
1: We have disciplines in our life. Okay? We all have disciplines in our life. Okay? And, and that's what keeps us kind of moving. You have relational disciplines. And if you don't do them, you're in trouble. Okay? You spend time together as a family. You spend time with your husband and wife. You love each other. You care for each other. Okay? Those are disciplines. Okay? Now, Law. Now, financially. Okay? We learned this in, in the uh, uh, Life, Money, Hope series we did a couple months ago. You got to get out of debt. You got to stay out of debt. You got to. Law to live within your means. You got to honor God. Okay, those are financial disciplines. Then there's health disciplines. You got to eat right. You got to exercise. Those are the most difficult. And then there's the
0: discipline of rightly handling the Word of God. That's a pastoral discipline. How come you don't do that one?
1: I hate those, but I but I have to. Otherwise,
0: <laughs> well, that was ironic, wasn't
1: it? You know, they told me three weeks ago. They told me I was 29 pounds overweight. Just keep that in mind. I'm obese. But anyway. Um, Hey, that's what the doctor said. But anyway, there's there's physical discipline. But then there's spiritual disciplines. There's things in our life that cause us to get off track. When we drift away from disciplines, it's a warning sign that says something's wrong. Okay, when all of a sudden I go to church. Yet the text doesn't, uh, that First Samuel 11 text doesn't say anything about David
0: drifting from disciplines.
1: Every other week rather than every week. I don't give regularly because you know hey money's tight god understands. Uh you know what's
0: noticing here is is that he's is it me or is this a tacit denial of what Jesus taught as to where sin comes from? Is the reason why you sin because well you're drifting away from disciplines? Is that the reason? Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's check in with Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse—you know what, let me let me put this all in context here. Hang on a second here. I've got to change something on my copy of Accordance. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, let's see here. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll begin there. All right, uh, verse 1. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Oh, no. Well, there you have it. I mean, Jesus' disciples did not practice the spiritual discipline of hand-washing. And um, so Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Yeah, for God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, quote, what you would have gained from me is now given to God, he need not honor his father or mother for the sake of your tradition. You have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. Then the disciples came to Jesus and said "And said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? Jesus answered, every plant my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted out. Let them alone. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, can you explain the parable to us? And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, where does Jesus say the uh, that sin begins? Where's What's the genesis? What's the root? Where does sin come from for us? Out of our hearts. This has to do with our sinful nature. Out of our heart comes adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The root of our sin is so deep, it burbles up from within us. And when you preach about sin, you've got to identify the the, the problem correctly. And the problem is you, and the problem is me. The problem comes from within us, not from outside factors, not because we haven't just made the correct decision, but sin really comes from within our hearts. This is what Jesus taught. Now, as you're listening to Pastor Songson here, ask yourself this question. Is he teaching this view of sin or another? Let's continue.
1: Uh, and uh, i don't i don't i'm not involved anymore i don't serve as much i'm not in a small group i'm not i don't have any quiet time with god when you begin to drift away from disciplines when kings normally go out to war, that's drifting away from discipline. Okay, when you start drifting away from discipline, all of a sudden you enter into a very dangerous place. You're in a very dangerous place when you drift away from the disciplines of your life. Let's go to danger number two. Let's kind of fly through it. Ready? Number two, mentally and physically crossing the line. Now, okay, what was David? Was he a prince? No, he was a what? King. Okay. He was a king. So it's time for kings to go out to war. He doesn't go out to war. He sends his friend. Starts with a J. Look down in your outline so you can remember. Joab. Everybody's going, I don't know, John. Um, okay. Mentally, now let's go to what happens next. Let's look at the scripture. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, I love this, that David takes naps. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, can you just see it? David gets out of his nap. You know, he's the king. He's kind of stretching. And he looks out over the city, and there's this woman taking a bath. And he's going, whoa, you know, some Victoria's Secret model over there. Her name is Bathsheba. Now, check this out. It says, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of... Uriah the Hittite. I love the way they introduce people in the Bible. And it can't just be her name is Bathsheba. She is the great godson of Bathsheba Makkah. Um, and it says, then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, that wasn't a second nap, just so we're clear on it. <laughs> They're like, boy, oh, that guy likes to nap a lot. No, it wasn't a nap. <laughs> this was, you know, it was one of those. So now he is intimate with her. So let's back up. It's a time when kings normally go out to do what? Fight. They're going to fight. They're going to have war. He doesn't do that. He stays back. His disciplines start drifting. You know you're in trouble when your disciplines start drifting. And then the second thing that happens.
0: Yeah, that's how you tell you. And when your disciplines start drifting, it's all over for you. Bad things are coming.
1: Happens. Mentally and physically, he crosses the line. Now, let's go mentally. He looks out over and he says, whoa, there's a good-looking woman. Now, all of a sudden, he's entertaining the thought. Of something he shouldn't be letting in here. You know,
0: because. Yeah, well, as out of his heart comes adultery. That's what Jesus said. But what do I know? I mean, what does Jesus know?
1: Because whenever we do something wrong, use the big spiritual word
0: sin or mistake. You no, know, no, no, no. Not spiritual word. That's the biblical word sin.
1: Mistake or whatever. It always starts here. If mean, you don't just do it, you kind of think, whoa, that girl's good looking or whoa, I really want that or whoa, maybe I should do this. He's thinking something in his mind. He's mentally crossing the line so much. That he says, who is this woman? Now he's even engaging to find out who she is. And then they say, oh, it's Bathsheba. Oh, it's this person. He's, now he sends for her, brings her over. One thing leads to another. They end up sleeping together. So he crosses the line mentally, and he crosses the line physically. These things happen in David's life. So here is David. If you look at Psalms chapter 51, you'll find a reflection of David's feelings at the time. God, I am a wretched man. Yeah, let's go
0: there. Okay, you kind of skipped the whole Nathan part, but I think you'll get to it. I'm sure. Nathan the prophet ultimately uh, comes and confronts David. But if you have your Bible, flip on over to Psalm chapter 51. Okay, this is the psalm that David wrote, a, you know, after he was uh, confronted by Nathan the prophet with his adultery and murder. Okay, David repented and received from God the forgiveness of his sins. That's what he received, the forgiveness of his sins. And all of that was taken care of by the shed blood of Christ, even in the story of David, Bathsheba, and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. The gospel Repentance and the forgiveness of sins shines forth like a bright beacon and a light for us. And it should give us comfort. Because if God can can, can forgive an adulterer and a murderer, like David, he can forgive you and he can forgive me. Listen to what David writes. <clears throat> Have so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Notice that David here is pointing to the fact that he is sinful by nature. He was not saying that his mother was a loose woman. He was saying that he was conceived a sinner. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good design, Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This passage is a beacon for the gospel. So in the center of this entire sad story that Chris Songson at this point is completely biffing because he's reading stuff into the passage that isn't there The solution apparently is just avoid this stuff, make sure that you practice your discipline so that you don't biff it like David did. But the reality is is that you biff it like David every day. In your hatred towards your neighbor, in the lustful thoughts that you entertain in your heart, you commit murder and adultery on a daily basis. And you are guilty before a holy and just God. And your prayer should be the same prayer as that of David. Pray to me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Please blot out my transgressions. So here we've got this great story that tells us of the gospel of this amazing God who forgives even this kind of sin. That, I mean, here we've got a servant of God, the anointed king of Israel, who we find out is a direct descendant of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ himself is called Son of David. And what do we learn of David? He was royally, wretchedly, screwed up and sinful, just like me and just like you. What an amazing God that we have, that our God blots out murder and adultery. And not only that... David wasn't even really sorry and contrite until he was confronted with his sin. He tried to cover it up. So we've got the story of a guy who didn't even on his own repent. He was caught. God ratted him out. And God ratted him out not to tell him that you're going to burn in hell. He ratted him out so that he would repent and be forgiven so that his transgressions would be blotted out, not him, so that his sins and iniquities would be cleansed and that he wouldn't face the cleansing fires of hell. What an amazing God this is. The story's not about David. The story's about Christ. This story points us to Jesus, not to me, not to you, and not even to David, because the star of the story is the God who forgives sins. Even premeditated murder and inexcusable adultery by such a servant of God. Who is this God? Who is this God that even these sins can be forgiven? As the psalmist says, O Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Hmm. I hope Chris Songson brings us to this God. And points out this amazing, merciful, and forgiving God who is merciful and kind to us because of the shed
1: blood of Christ. I hope he lands there. God, I can't believe that I have done this. Now, hold on a second. He drifts away from his disciplines. He ends up doing something he shouldn't be doing. He mentally crosses the line, physically crosses the line, okay? He's doing things he shouldn't be doing, going places. He shouldn't be going. And then he says, oh, God, I, I, I've, I've blown it. I'm so sorry. He describes himself as a wretched man. He says, God, I'm so wretched. I can't believe that I did this. Now, sometimes for us, mentally it enters into our mind. Maybe for you. Maybe you look and maybe lust. Notice the confession
0: of sins without forgiveness. Come on, Chris. Give us some forgiveness here. Point us to the Jesus, to the Christ, the crucified Savior who forgives even these sins. Psalm
1: 51 does. Lust enters in. Or maybe you look and greed enters in. Or maybe you look and think, if I just do this, I can get ahead financially. I know it's not right, but I can just do this. I can get away with it. And we mental, our mind starts going into an area and, and we, and all of a sudden we're sitting there thinking some thoughts that we should not be thinking that's going to lead us to a place we should not be. Everybody get it? Good. All right. Let's go to number three. Danger number three. Danger number three on the back of your uh, program here. Now he's blown it. He's sinned. He's, he can't believe he did it, but now it even gets worse. Now look what he's doing. Protecting reputation, but not character. David spends a heck of a lot of time protecting his reputation, but he doesn't spend very much time protecting his character. Now, yeah, think about this. Think about this. Where is that
0: written in the Bible that he spent a lot of time protecting reputation but not character? I...
1: How many? How, how many have ever heard the word cover up? You know, Tiger Woods spent millions of dollars to do what? Cover up. Okay. Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky okay, do all this stuff, make all these arrangements, you know, say, I did not have with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, you know, I, uh, and he's, what is he trying, he's trying to cover up, you know, and, and we do that, you know, we even do that in a physical way, we do that, you know, uh, especially when you get hair like this, you try to cover it up, sometimes with a spray can, whatever you got to do. I, uh, my friend, I traveled with a friend of mine years ago, I used to travel with a friend of mine that we used to do a bunch of public schools together, and uh, he got a, uh, <laughs> he was balding so much. All of a sudden, he showed up to one of our speaking engagements with a hairpiece, and I just did not let him down. I mean, I just railed him. But that night, we spent the night in a hotel, and, and we were in the same room together. And I got up to use the restroom, and uh, in the middle of the night, at like three in the morning, and uh, and and there, I look over, and the, the little the light thing's on, and right on top of the hairspray bottle is his hairpiece, like this, and it was as scary as that. Ah! You know, it just freaked me. I looked like a squirrel, and so kind of freaked me out a little bit, but we spend money to cover things up. We do things to cover things up. Now, what are we doing when we cover things up? $12 billion in cosmetics, $1 billion a year we spend in hair replacement. We do a lot of things to cover up because we don't want people to see what we really are. So we put all this stuff on to kind of cover up these mistakes or these these things that we think are not good. And that's exactly what David did. He had blown it. He had made a mistake with Bathsheba. He was out Should have been out to war. He wasn't, so his disciplines were going down. Then all of a sudden, he crosses the line. Now look what happens. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Okay, let's stop right there. First thing he finds out is, hey, she's pregnant. And now he's thinking, holy cow, now how am I going to cover this up? Okay, it's one thing that I was intimate with her. Now I got to go and, you know, she went off and took a pregnancy test, and now we're in a lot of trouble. Whatever happened, um... And so, I don't know how, I don't even know how they knew in those days. It was like, oh, hey, you're pregnant. Um, and then it's. Is it really all that hard to figure out? It says, look what it says. Okay, now, he's, the Bible says that he went and he sent for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. What's his name? His name is Uriah. Look what it says. He sends for Uriah. Now, Uriah's out fighting a war. So, you know, they go and send for him. A couple weeks later, Uriah comes back. Look what happens. He told Uriah. Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard Uriah had gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Anybody have any idea what David's trying to pull there? You catching on? He's going, Hey, you, Uriah, go and hang out with your wife a little bit. And, Ha-ha, you're pregnant. And he's going to try to cover it up. What's he going to try to do? Well, David's smooth, you know. He's like, man, if I, can get, if I can bring Uriah home, he hasn't seen his wife in months, he's going to go, be intimate with her, and then go off to war. He comes back, we had a baby, and everybody's going to be happy. But he doesn't go and sleep with her. You know what he ends up saying? He ends up saying, how can I go and have intimacy with my wife when my friends are out there fighting? I can't do that. And so he got all upset. So David takes it to the next level. Well, stay here today, he asked him to stay one more day. David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. Boy, David doesn't stop at anything. It's like one life to live here. Uh, But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the uh, uh, king's palace guards. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Remember that guy he sent out, Joab, and gave it to Uriah to deliver? You know what the letter said? The letter said this. The letter said, put... Put Uriah on the front lines and make sure he dies. That's pretty now, this is pretty interesting. He gives it to Uriah and says, Now go deliver this note. Can you imagine delivering your own death sentence? But he's going to deliver it, and that's actually what happens. He actually goes and delivers this to Joab. Joab reads it, sends Uriah out on the front lines, and Uriah dies, and that's how David tries to cover it up. So let's just let's just back up here for a moment. David goes from he should be out there, but he stops doing his disciplines, his spiritual disciplines he stops. Then all- yeah, the text doesn't say that, Chris. of a sudden it spirals down to mentally he looks at the woman and says i really want her then physically See, the implication is if you don't do your spiritual
0: disciplines well then you you know mm -hmm, yeah you might fly into the danger zone
1: he engages with her then he tries to cover it up and that doesn't work so he says that doesn't work so i'll get him drunk if that doesn't work i'll just kill the guy and he starts covering up now keep in mind this is the man that that god said he's a man after my own heart this is the man that god said you are appointed to be king and now he's doing these things that he can't even imagine. He's covering things up. He's doing things that he can't even get his mind around. And, he, and he's failing in so many radical ways. What was he doing? David was so concerned about his reputation that he lost all concern about his character. He was more concerned about. And where does the text say that again? What people thought than who he really was. You see, I have a philosophy. If you guard your character, your reputation will take care of itself. You don't need to worry about it.
0: As long... Yeah, see, if only David had taken your advice, this whole thing wouldn't have happened.
1: As long as you guard your character, everything else will take care of itself. I have a friend of mine, he's very good at that. Whenever he travels, man, he's always guarding his character. You know, he never travels alone. He, you know, when, he asked me, I remember years ago, <laughs> years ago, he asked me to go speak with him. And I went to go speak with him somewhere, and it was years ago, and, and, uh, and he did most of the speaking. And I just did like one or two little speaking things for him, and uh, he just wanted me to hang out with him. But he's so cautious. He always has someone travel with him. He always makes sure all the channels are turned off in the hotel. You know, I mean, he's just very, very cautious. So we're hang- <laughs> but a little side note, this, I, it was interesting. I was like, well, that's, that's fascinating. So we go to this, We go to this uh, uh, inside the hotel, they had this band playing in like a big old hotel, and they had this band playing off in the corner somewhere. And we couldn't, you know, we were not really tired. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And so I go, man, let's go check out the band. They're playing, you know, like 70s music. Totally cool. I love 70s music. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And he goes, okay, cool. So we go and sit down, you know, and uh, we order a couple sodas or whatever, you know. And years ago, I, I don't drink soda anymore, but uh, I was drinking like a Coke, and he was drinking Dr. Pepper or something. We are just sitting there listening to the band. Oh, good song, good song, good song, whatever. And uh, this, this guy over here comes over and starts talking to me. And he's talking, and he's talking, and he's being extra nice to me. And uh, we're at this, you know, place and whatever. And, and, and then all of a sudden, he goes, he goes, hey, he goes, I was wondering. And he puts his arm on my shoulder. And I go, yeah. And he goes, this guy, he goes, I was wondering if I could buy you a drink. And I said, yeah, go ahead. I wasn't even getting it. <laughs> Honest. I wasn't even getting it. I was, he goes, can I buy you a drink? And I said, I'm thinking, four bucks for a soda? Yeah, buy three of them. And so... He took off. My friend goes, Do you have any idea what's going on here? And I said, No. And he says, The dude's trying to pick up on you. And you're like, Yeah, have a drink, have a drink. <laughs> and my friend goes, Why are you so happy? I said, Well, at least someone. I go, I seem to be losing it lately. And um, someone cares. <sighs> anyway, so, but my friend, he was, he's so careful. I'm guarding his character. I've never met anybody like this guy. It's like, everything's got to be, he guards his character. You see, David was so much danger zone, it just didn't seem to stop. First, the discipline stopped, just like yours and I do sometimes. We don't get involved as much. Uh, the text doesn't say that. as much. We don't come to church as much. Our discipline starts slacking. Then mentally, he starts do, looking at things and thinking about different greed or revenge or whatever. You mean out of his heart
0: comes the sin. Okay.
1: Whatever it is, your issue is, and then he starts popping over to physically, and then that's not enough. He doesn't just say, sorry, God. He goes and tries to cover it up and, 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 and commits murder and gets the, and all these horrible things that he, that he does to try to cover it up. Yeah, and the last
0: word is the cross, the forgiveness of sins. What an amazing God David has. Don't you think that he can even blot out transgressions as grievous
1: as that? But then we fall into, to my opinion, the fourth and most, um, the worst danger. The worst danger is number four. Ready? Number four is this. I want you to write it in. It's a failure to recognize his own sin. Now, let me show you. Let me read to you 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. If you have a Bible, if not, I'll just read it. Listen, this is good. Okay? Now all that's happened. He's covered up. He's really blown it. He's made a lot of mistakes. We know this about David, but check this out. It's a good part. Listen to this. So the Lord, verse 1, 2 Samuel 12, 1. The Lord sent Nathan to tell David this story. Now listen to the story that Nathan tells David. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb He had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate, drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Verse 5 David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, what was he saying? He goes to him and he says, hey, David, let's rephrase this now. There's this guy that's only got one lamb. And there's this other dude over here. He's got everything. Who's the he's got everything in the story? David. Who's the guy with only one lamb? Uriah and his wife, Bathsheba. And he says, and instead of, when his guest shows up, instead of taking from his own wealth, he goes and steals the one most precious thing to this poor man. And he goes, hey, David, He goes, what do you think we should do with a guy like that? David says, I tell you exactly what you do. You have that man pay back four times what he stole and then kill him. That's what you should do. And then Nathan looks and says, David, that man's you. You're the man. You're the one that just did that. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Hang on. Failure to recognize his own sin. That's the fourth and most. No, the
0: fascinating thing is that God is merciful, even in this circumstance. Let me continue reading. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? "'You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword "'and have taken his wife to be your wife, "'and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. "'Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, "'because you have despised me "'and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. "'Thus says the Lord, "'Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, "'and I will take your wives before your eyes "'and give them to your neighbor, "'and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun.' For you did for what you did secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel before the sun. So here's David confronted with his sin; he's caught. Here's the response. David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And Nathan said to David, "The Lord also has put away your sin." you shall not die what an amazing and merciful god we have now there's a little bit more here the lord has also put away your sin you shall not die nevertheless because you by this deed you have utterly scorned the lord the child who is born to you shall die Then Nathan went to his house. So David did suffer temporal consequences for his sin. God disciplined David as a son, as a father disciplines a son. But we've got this. We've got absolution from the prophet Nathan. Nathan saying to David, the Lord has put Away your sin. What an amazing and merciful God who can put away and blot out transgressions. Praise be to Christ that this is the gospel that we are given to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious and penal substitutionary death on the cross for you for me and even for King David, the murderer and the adulterer. Praise to Christ Jesus, who has conquered the grave, conquered sin, and conquered the devil through his death and resurrection, and it was for you and for me. This story gives me hope. Hope in the love and the mercy of Christ that washes away sin. But that's not what we're hearing from Chris Songson. It's as if the major thing, the thing that we should be hearing about, this merciful God, is the thing that keeps being omitted. How sad.
1: ...most dangerous spot, because here's what happened. Now listen, this is important. Here's what happened to David. Cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. He became the callous and the numbness was so deep that when someone presented to him an obvious story about his own life, he's ready to kill someone for stealing someone else's only animal, his only pet, but he's not looking at his own heart. It's a failure to even recognize his own sin because he's become so callous and so numb. It's the same thing that I think that we do, okay? I think that, I think that there's probably us. I know me. I'm guilty of it. See... Here's what happens. We, we, we hear about someone's sin or someone's situation, and we get real critical. I can't believe this person at the church did this. I can't believe this person at work did this. I can't believe that they would act that way. And yet, what the Bible's saying here, and Nathan is telling David, he says, before you open your mouth, you better look at your own heart. Jesus said it this way. He said, don't you dare judge the speck in someone else's eye, because you've got a log in your own. Don't act like you're all holy when you got issues in your own life. That's what he was really saying. About a month and a half ago, I had an opportunity to go to... I'll wrap it up here. Just sit tight with me. I had an opportunity to go to um, to Ghana, as you know, Ghana, Africa. And I was there doing a lot of speaking and whatnot. And one day, uh, I had the whole day off from speaking, which is a miracle when you're on a mission trip because the minute you land, you just start talking and they just bring audiences in front of you. And... um, so I'm like, okay. So they took a day off, and he goes, we're going to take you to Slaves Castle. Now listen to this. This is good. Slaves Castle. Now here's why. Because Ghana and one other neighboring country was the place in the, in the 1700s, and eight, in the early 1800s, 1700s, when they, where they got most of the slaves from. They got them from those two ports, those two areas right there, the slaves that migrated or that were brought.
0: Okay, this is a a positive development in the sermon. If we're talking about slavery, we can talk about slavery to sin, death and the devil and how Jesus sets us free through his shed blood on the cross. Boy, I hope this is where this goes. I'm hoping crossing my fingers here. Come on, Chris
1: over on a boat uh, to America and to England and other places. They were mainly housed in those two countries. One of the biggest castles that they were housed in until the boats would show up to take them away was this place that I went to. It's, it's It's a museum. You can go and look at it now. It's called Slave's Castle. As I was there at Slave's Castle, the guy tells me this. He says, uh, and, uh, he's, he's my guide. He's a, uh, uh, he's from Ghana himself and he's been there a million times. He says, I have, he goes, Chris, I have taken many people on this, on, uh, to the slave's castle. And I said, yeah. And he says, and the many people that I have taken, he goes, I've probably been on 25 tours and almost every single time there's one or two people that can't make it through the tour. They start breaking down and crying. Sometimes it gets so bad that they'll 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 separate the African Americans from the from a Caucasian because there is so much hate and you can feel it when you're in the room. He took me around to this, and it's an enormous castle. It's not the small little you know hut. It's an enormous castle. And he takes me to this enormous castle. We're looking around. Then we go into the dungeon where the men stayed. The men and the women were separated, and the kids were separated as well. Imagine that. And the boats would come about once every three months and pick up or four months or eight months or whatever and pick up some more slaves and take them back over. They would put in a room that was maybe the size of this stage up here, they would put about 250 men. They did some study and checked out 250 men and there was only one little hole about 24 inches big way at the top where they could get sunlight and air. That was the only place to get air. And the men would stand inside there chained And they would throw food in there, and they would have to scrab around for the food. No bathroom, no bathroom breaks. So just do what, think about it, for three or four or five months. Scientists have gone in there, and they actually went up the wall about 30 inches, and they found human waste still inside the cement. These guys would stand in 30 inches of human waste, and they would stand inside there. I actually was physically in the dungeon. I stood inside there, and I looked around, and I just thought, this is unbelievable. You could feel it in the room. You could feel the intensity. And I just stood there and I just thought, I can't believe this. Then right above the dungeon, they took me right above the dungeon. And right above the dungeon, about two stories up, is a chapel where the English people and the Americans would gather to worship and to sing songs to God while the slaves were 20 feet below them in 36 inches of human waste. And I thought in my mind, how could you do that? How could you stand there and worship God when you know that 20 feet below you are 250 human beings that he created and you've got them chained standing in 30 inches of human waste? How could you do that? How could you be so numb and callous to stand there and worship? Now, when I was thinking that, all of a sudden, God just kind of spoke to my heart. This is what he said, Chris. How do you do it?
0: Okay, so Chris is getting direct revelation from God.
1: You do things that you are so numb to and so callous to that you just go on living your life, being a pastor, being a Christian, trying to be a follower of God, whatever you would classify yourself as, and you're just kind of living your life. He goes, but you become so callous, and oh, you judge the person. I can't believe that person did this in their marriage. I can't believe this person acted this way. I can't believe this person said this. When you've got calluses and numbness in your own life. I love what King David said. After all it was done, he committed adultery, committed murder. He covered, tried to cover it up, and he ends up realizing, I'm such a callous man. How could I have all this stuff in my heart? And then King David, who was a poet and composer, wrote these words in Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts.
0: Uh, no, David wrote Psalm 51 after the Bathsheba incident that talks about the mercy of God and God blotting out transgressions. I hope we get there.
1: Point out anything in me that makes you sad. You say, God... I know there's issues in my life, so please, please, God, point out in me. There is an adaption.
0: No, you're pointing to the wrong psalm. Psalm 51 talks about the forgiveness of his sins and his transgressions being blotted out. It's not just enough. It, God doesn't just point out your sin. He
1: forgives it. Doubt in my mind because I am the first to stand up and say, I, as Chris Sunkson, I'm sure I'm derailing in some areas of my life. I'm sure I've become numb. I'm sure I've become callous.
0: I'm, you know, this sounds so humble. I'm sure I'm derailing in some areas of my life. Really? Really? Come on. If I were to pull out the Ten Commandments, how how well you, would you do, Chris? I mean, Seriously. You're just derailing in some areas of your life. Just, you know, a a smidge, you know, just a a little bit of derailing here and a little bit of derailing there. But, you know, overall, he's, he's not really derailing that much. Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? That we should fear and love and trust in God above all things. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God so that we do not curse or swear or use satanic arts or lie or deceive by God's name. Instead, call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God so that we do not despise the preaching and God's word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Honor your father and mother. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents or other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, and love and cherish them. You shall not murder. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God so that we lead sexually pure and decent lives in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Seventh commandment. You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in a dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and his income. You shall not give false testimony or witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor or betray him or slander him or hurt his reputation, but defend him and speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way. You should not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or to get it in a way which only appears right, but instead help and be of service to our neighbor in helping him to keep it. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and to do their duty. How you doing on that, Chris? Are you just derailing a couple of those commandments? but otherwise you're keeping all of them? If you think so, then you really truly do not understand what those commandments demand of you. Perfect love, perfect obedience, in thought, word, and deed, by what you do and by what you don't do. That's what the commandments demand of you. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Every second that ticks off that you're not doing that, you are not derailed. You are stuck and mired in sin. And the solution isn't just try harder, because no amount of doing and trying harder is going to get you out of this quagmire that you're in. The solution is Christ and him crucified for our sins. Are you purposely trying to avoid the forgiveness of sins in this story? Or do you just not know how to look for it? thinking that the law is the thing that will solve this problem. I'm curious.
1: I'm sure I've become, well, you know, just kind of used to that one thing in my life when in reality it's wrong. Yours may be lust, greed, revenge, selfishness, critical spirit, judgmental, whatever it is, but there's that thing in your mind where you just kind of covered up. You just kind of got used to living. to
0: Yeah, just that one thing. Aside from that, you're pretty darn close to holiness.
1: But David says, God, no more. Search in me, my my very heart. Test my thoughts. And God, if there is anything in my life that makes you sad, please point it out. Because I don't want to do this anymore. My prayer is that... No,
0: he points to God and talks about how God blots out transgressions. You're not giving me the gospel, you're giving me more law.
1: That tonight, that we take the areas of our life that maybe we've derailed a little bit. Maybe we're a little off base. Oh, just a smidge. Oh, yeah.
0: We're all, so, I mean, we're just, all of us, just one or two degrees, maybe just one and a half steps away from holiness. All, you know, because, you know, we're just derailed a little bit.
1: And we just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm numb to it. Don't sit here and think. I hope my husband's listening. hope my wife's listening. Oh, gosh. I hope so. They got this on podcast because we need to, I got to make sure so and so's listening to this. What about you? What are the callous in your own heart? Because I already know my areas. I am so far from perfect, and I know my areas. What are yours? Would you stand with me and let's pray? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much.
0: Done. (sighs) This is just a tragedy. How can you tell the story of David, Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite, and Nathan the prophet and skip the heart of the story? The heart of the story coming to us in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That is the resolution of the story. The cross gets the last word. Before you turn off this podcast, stop and pray for Chris Songson. Stop and pray. And pray that God would open his eyes to the gospel that he is completely blind to. He truly doesn't see it. Because if he did see it, he wouldn't be preaching this way. Pray that God would grant him repentance and the forgiveness of his sins so that he preaches the gospel and not just the self-righteousness and somehow the law being the solution to our problem. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Pick one and fill it out so that we can continue to do the work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you want to contact me, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash christian. or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.